Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Enjoying my fortnight of hate. Mm. And uh, I've saved enough hate for tomorrow and saturday morning so the only thing um the only thing i can say that's really good is that uh, i don't have to grind my teeth down all day waiting for a night game between the huskies and the ducks you know it's it starts at 12 30 and so um there won't be waiting all day trying to do something productive well, they're calling for rain uh, in Seattle. So, you know, maybe like overcast, gray, gloomy Seattle, you know, maybe it'll, mm-hmm. it'll feel like a night game. Uh, does your hate for Washington uh, extend to the basketball team? Um, not necessarily. Uh, I haven't uh, been subjected to the good and bad with the basketball team that I have with the football team. It's kind of been difficult to hate on Mike Hopkins, you know, other than the the sort of the amusing, you know, the the you know, the Pac-12, whoever it is that votes on, you know, coach of the year, mm-hmm. like kind of ridiculously naming uh that guy, you know, coach of the year twice and then uh you know like very clearly did, you know, the the first time was an attaboy for not being uh you know the the old coach the second time he clearly didn't deserve uh and and, and should have gone to dana altman uh and, and but they were just like sick of giving it to dana altman uh and uh like oh my god you find that so often with like the, the way that these like blanks of the year awards go it's just like well man if we gave it to the team that deserved it then like x team and x player would just win it every year so like we got to do something you know to change it up so let's give it to mike hopkins you know and then he just like his team sucks for like eight consecutive seasons like <laughs> it's just like yeah. it's so, like every time i would write about him on twitter i would just be very certain to note like two-time coach of the year winner mike hopkins has you know tripped and fallen down the stairs or whatever you know like <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> so anyway you have written uh you've actually finally concluded your uh, basketball preview series uh both the men and the women um, almost almost Wait, wait, you got one more? Uh, There's still Arizona. Oh, my God. You haven't done Arizona? My God, you're really dribbling these out, man. Like, uh, you started these back in, like, June, dude. Uh, Well, I I originally, you know, for the the, uh, three people that actually listen to these podcasts, you know, when we're 
uh, writing as a staff. It's the entire in- golf team, dude. Like they're bullying us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when we're um, we got clubs and shit. Uh, when we're coming up with things to write about, when there's nothing to write about, like July, um, you know, Hifflday is uh, not only a great writer in, in his own right; he's a great site editor, also. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. we're we're talking the the only I'm guy paying I, you to say that. So yeah. I, I'm pretty good with words, and Hifflday caused me to look up two words last year, and you know, I could have cheated and uh, understood the context. But that would be cheating. So, you know, I mm-hmm. looked them up and, and they were succinct, you know, good, good words. But, um, you know, as a side, as a side editor, you know, we're kind of twiddling thumbs, trying to figure out what to do. And he comes up with the idea, oh, let's do men and women's basketball previews. So uh, a lot of fun. I jumped on the uh, women's basketball right away. And then uh, we lost a writer that was going to be doing the men's basketball previews so um so i decided to you know take that on as well and i figured you know this would be a good chance to learn something about teams that i don't know about and before doing this series i i really didn't know very much about any of the teams and i thought well this would be great you know i'll I'll have some future material for uh you know future Pac-12 seasons, and then the Pac-12 decides to, yeah, man, implode. Yeah, yeah. well, you Thanks, know that, that how, that's how it goes. I mean, <laughs> I've got an entire database of you know all these Pac-12 uh, players. You know, I, well, I mean, four of them are going to the Big Ten, so I won't be a total scratch. But like, uh, and I sort of expect to see a number of them in out of conference games, which is probably going to be true in basketball as well. Yeah, uh, that's going to be true in in all the minor sports. Um, I'm sure there, there's a lot more fluid fluidity. They they haven't put together schedules years in advance like they have to do with football. Um, so uh, the two that you have most recently written uh, are about uh, Washington UCLA. Let's start out talking about the uh, the Washington article. Um, so two time coach of the year, Mike Hopkins. Uh, you know, tripped and fell down a flight of stairs yet again, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, perfectly average, you know. Uh, it's more like it, he fell down a gentle slope, but yeah. he fell down nonetheless. Yeah, um, went 16 for 16 um, last 16 season. 16 for 32. Yeah, yeah, 16 for uh, 32. And um, so that was 16 wins, 16 losses. Um uh, did did not do as well with conference play as with non-conference play, um, which is not really a surprise because the the uh, uh, top group yeah. of teams in you, you don't get to pick your conference really opponents you, except for when you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, uh, there was. He had Washington had kind of the same problems that that Oregon had, and although uh, Oregon was able to um, deal with their uh, injury issues, is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon uh, kind of came out a little bit better at, at the end of it, it even though you know, last season Oregon was just kind of decimated with injuries. Um, Washington also, uh, had some injuries and it was a couple of their better players. Um, yeah. no, Noah Williams was, yeah, dealing with, uh, nagging injuries all year. And then, uh, Frank Kepnang, who was a, a transfer from Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. And, um, yeah, uh, played for only eight games and then yeah. went down with an ACL. Yeah, that sucks. Um, yeah, that really stinks. I he he went down, I believe in terms of projecting for next season, it was early enough that the projections are that he is going to be able to play for the entirety of this upcoming season, right? Yeah. It, yeah I mean, they're... it'll be like close on to a year, you know, since that injury. 
And I mean, they didn't, they didn't mess around either. They were just like, Nope, you're done off to surgery for you. You know? Right. Yeah. Rest and rehab and uh, see you next season. Yeah. Um, you know, their shooting was weird because, you know, what I remember about watching Washington was that, like, they were actually, you know, pretty good shooting the three and, and to the extent that they would, you know, hang around in games, it was the three that was, you know, doing it for them. But like, they just couldn't penetrate, you know, like they, they just like, you know, they couldn't shoot from the field and it's like, yeah, I, yeah, well, here it is in your article, as you say, they, sh- they were shooting 43% from the field with you know 31% you know from beyond the three point arc well if you're shooting 31% from the three point arc but 43% total from the field that means your two point shooting's god awful um yeah and uh it, which yeah that that yeah, that's what i saw when i would watch him um uh so anyway uh you know according to your article they are um they uh they're only bringing back two of the starters who played Plus Kepnong, who, you know, who, you know, God bless it. You know, he, he should be back to full health. We're all, we're all hoping. Mm-hmm. Um, who are, who are the two returning starters? Um, the first one is, uh, Kayon Brooks Jr. He uh-huh. was there. He was their leading scorer. Um, yeah. Averaging, averaging 17.7 uh, points per game. Yeah. Um, um, He's like the closest thing they had to a good player. You know, he yeah. was shooting, you know, 28% from the arc. He was shooting 43% from the field, which is like, uh, which is sort of like their team's overall stats. Uh, and, and sort of, yeah. So like, okay, that guy. Who yeah, else? And, and well, and he was also something of a defensive presence too. He uh-huh. had the, the second highest number of blocks on the team. Um. The other one was uh, Braxton Maya, who um, he's their center, right? Yeah, yeah, and has it kind of typical of centers like that has a really high uh, percentage of two pointers, nothing right. for uh, three pointers, and is just kind of so-so at the line. Yeah, but the thing was, like, they couldn't figure out how to dish in the ball enough. Like, uh, you know, like, it's not like he was a dominant scoring center. Like, I think he averaged under 10 points a game, right? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he averaged under nine points a game. Yeah, and I don't think it's because he, like, I mean, like, when I was watching him, I didn't think, like, oh, boy, this dude sucks. You know, I would, what I was watching was just, like, an offense that didn't know how to get him the ball. You know, like, the, the, you know, it was just, like, I was, I mean, look, man, I've been watching, like, Mike Hopkins' offenses you now for a while, and it's just, like, it, it's, like, watching, oh, it's so appropriate they're going to the Big Ten. It's, like, watching Big Ten, you know, it's just, like, hey, let's slow the game down and play, like, boring defense and, uh, and just, sort of, like, pass the ball around and then eventually take, like, a jump shot uh like basketball from the 1970s you know great that's great uh or or the 2000s if you're washington state yeah i guess um (laughs) so you know having lost you know a lot of their starters and uh you know god God bless them you know we'll we'll all have our fingers crossed for for frank kepnong um Mm -hmm. they took i think four freshmen although it doesn't look like any of them are like you know mcdonald's all americans or anything no um, it's, it's not like what you know arizona or ucla or usc is yeah up. i mean i think they got like one four-star guard who like maybe he'll play right wesley mm-hmm. yates um yeah I, I guess we'll see about him but otherwise i'm sort of thinking the rest of these guys are sort of like depth guys um like developmental players maybe um but then they took i think well, i think it was counting down it was like seven different transfers that they took yeah, seven. Um, yeah, because they, excuse me, they lost a lot of um, uh, leadership you yeah, know, and, and production. And so, you know, they're having to play the uh, transfer portal game and hope for the best. It's kind of a mixed bag of transfers that are coming in. They uh, They have the potential to have a productive impact and um I, I think it might be one of those things where where they're also bringing in um 
some valuable game experience in you know, trying to uh, impart some of that and you know helping to be field generals for the youngsters i mean i guess you know like you know, i was reading through the list of the, of the you know the players that that uh you know th- that you listed in your article and I, i'm sort of like all these guys are sub 50 percent shooters you know uh you know, a couple of them are productive, but at sort of lower levels, you know, uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, would be scoring double digit points per game. You know, the the dude from Nebraska looks like a Muppet and scored four points a game. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I thought this offense needed a lot more firepower, not more leadership. You know, like they, they returned two starter, like two and a half starters in the form of Ketnong, like and a coach who's been in a position for a long time. Like, I didn't really think like cultural leadership was really the issue. Like, I thought that this team like had an identity. I don't like the identity, but like you ain't going to change it. You know, I thought what this team needed more than anything else was some like flipping firepower. Uh, and then I read through the, you know, the, the transfers that they got. And I'm like, I don't see firepower. I don't see anything changing for this. Badwater, do you think I'm off the mark here? No, not at all. The, the, uh, the player who has the most on, on paper uh, firepower potential is Moses Wood, but he's from Portland. So, you know, University that, of Portland. Yes, University of Portland. So, um, you know, good luck uh, transferring well, those stats to well, sure, the Pac-12. Portland's not a bad. But, I mean, Portland's not a bad basketball team, but like, uh, you know. Is he a guard or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a, a guard, I found him guard, guard. Okay. So yeah. 6'8, uh, 15.3 points per game, uh, 6.3 rebounds per game, 45% from the field, which, hey, that's better than Washington's, you know, average mm-hmm. last year. 40% from three point range. Yeah. Not bad. yeah it's it's the, the three point range and the 84% on the line. I mean, that like, that shows it, it, like I could definitely see why Mike Hopkins likes this dude. And looking at his picture, right. I can definitely see why Mike <laughs> Hopkins likes that dude. Um, like yeah okay I, i'll buy your argument bad water definitely of, of him being like okay that guy goes to the top of the list in terms of like being a mike hopkins guy um like uh, yeah i'll definitely buy that argument but like i mean they need like a they need like a 25 point a game dude you know yeah. what i mean yeah and and they just don't have it I, yeah well i doesn't i mean <laughs> it doesn't look like he, you can always like find a dude who, who just like gets a spark um but like, uh, yeah, I mean, I just didn't see anybody who came in and just like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's just sort of, you know, I come from, I, 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 as I keep saying, whenever I do these, you know, talks with you, Badwater, about this, you know, we're, we're now on what, 21 of 24 of these, you know, uh, uh, where it's like, if you weren't good, la- and it, because like, and I always say the same thing, which is, you know, I come from doing this whole project for five years now about doing you know the the football previews and uh and and my observation is that like if you weren't good at something last year you need to go against type you know you you, like why are you know the definition of insanity is doing something again and expecting different results and it's like if, if the if the type of ball that you are playing and the type of player that you were getting was getting you eighth place in the pack 12 and run out of the tournament in the first round by a kind of meh Colorado team that like, what are you doing getting players who are like clones of the dudes that you lost? Like what makes you think that you're going to get different results from that Hopkins? Like, so yeah, that's my prediction. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I said, I said as much, you know, they, they tied for eighth, uh, last season. Um, I really don't see them going anywhere from, uh, where they were last season. Yeah. Washington has a new athletic director now who apparently, uh, can't, can't afford to make wrong moves. So, uh, so therefore I expect them to, to keep Mike Hopkins for another like 16 years, (laughs) fall down the stairs a few more times. All right. (laughs) Let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, we will talk about UCLA basketball. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. 
This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so Mick Cronin uh, came into UCLA uh, back in the 2019 uh, season, uh, replaced a like, legacy of like three bad coaches at UCLA who they kept around for too long, um, and uh, has done a pretty good job. Uh, you know, made it the Final mm-hmm. Four, uh, made a couple Sweet 16s, uh, assembled a pretty good roster. Um, that sort of the same roster so to speak i mean obviously there's been a little bit of difference but basically uh, you know the a core of a similar group of guys has been with mike cronin you know from that you know get go and uh and, and now they're basically all gone right do do i have that yeah. right um yeah pretty much uh, this, they... this is sort of like chip kelly losing dorian thompson robinson it's sort of like <laughs> okay you know time for the next you know the next stage or the next era of ucla x at you know but with a new group of dudes um right they did they did what they could with their veteran group uh yeah they ended up uh or ranked number eight in the nation so yeah that that was uh tops they they were tops in the pac-12 and and the top ranking team of the Pac-12 in in the NCAA's and you know in the final rankings, so uh, but like at this so, point, but now you know all the guys who sort of like become familiar to us as Pac-12 basketball fans as being like the face of UCLA basketball because I sure hope it ain't Mick Cronin. Uh, <laughs> uh, he sort of looks like Nosferatu. Like uh, you know, it, it, Jamie Jackas is gone. Tiger Campbell is gone. Jalen Clark is gone. Amari Bailey. Mm-hmm is gone right like it's mm-hmm. it's pretty much just you know last year's you know uh freshman adam bona who's the only right. you know returner from the starting group right yeah uh all their all their top producers uh, yeah. are gone um yeah and bona was only a you know a, a, a 23 minute 7.7 points per game dudes you know so you know we're not talking about like you know, the, 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 the team captain, you know, kind of deal, you know, so, so they're sort of, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it's a rebuild or a reload year. Um, they, they've got a pretty, you know, how'd you put it? A diverse, uh, uh, uh incoming freshman class. Um, what do you think about this freshman class? They're a couple four stars. Do you think they're going to do like the USC thing and really just roll with their freshmen? Um, well, they they do re- return some uh, players from last year's squad that uh, have some playing experience. They were, they were used off the bench. They they weren't used nearly as much as the starters. I mean, the, well, the starters yeah, I, are what pushed it. I mean, but so, that's put that's putting it mildly, man. Like these guys barely got any time. Unless I'm missing something, am I missing something? I I, yeah. I thought these guys barely played really, and they were coming in for like. 20 seconds of garbage time in a couple of games. Yeah, I think um what Cronin is after is um bringing in a talented freshman class and you know 
choosing from his freshmen and his sophomores. Sure. Um, who's, I mean, I'm not saying who, that those, that means that those guys producers. suck. I'm just saying that like the, the idea that like, it's not an open competition is probably wrong. Like the, or the, the idea that like, Oh, it's going to be these dudes that they had mm -hmm. on the conveyor belt and the freshmen are all going to red shirt and it'll be their turn in two years. Like, I don't think that's true. I think it's going to be, it looks to me like it's, you know, the, the red shirt freshmen or, or the guys who were sitting on the bench last year, and then the new players who are coming in this year and they all just go in the pool together and like whoever the best five are will be whoever the best five are. And that's that. And like, just because you were on the team last year, doesn't, I don't, I don't think, you know, gives you a, a leg up. I mean, that's my read on the situation. Do you, do you disagree with that? No. And I think that the, the non-conference portion of UCLA's season is going to be uh, very interesting. And, uh, I'm going to watch and catch a few games and see um, what he's mixing in and what he's trying to figure out you mm -hmm. know, with, with all these underclassmen. Because, uh, like I said in my article, they only have uh, three upperclassmen. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, it's going to be a young team no matter what, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, he uh, has some decent four stars. Um Kind of interested in seeing what uh, Eddie Mara does. Yeah, mm -hmm. all seven foot three of him. A lot of international players too. You know, as yep. a as uh, a French player, Turkish player. There's a, a, a Spanish player. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Serbian player. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So the um, you know, as we've seen from uh, Dana Altman. You know, he brings in players with uh, European experience. Um, yeah, granted, that's more through the portal, but yeah, it they generally uh, pan out pretty well. Mm. So, uh, like I say, it's going to be interesting to uh, see how these guys play, and you know how uh, a team of basically youngsters just yeah. kind of uh, adapts and grows. You know, what kind of growing pains are they going to have? It's uh, it's going to be uh, some interesting viewing. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to make predictions, you know, about like who's going to wind up winning jobs because like, I mean, yeah, but it was, it, yeah the, the, the pool it, is like half crew <laughs> freshmen and the, the other half of the pool is is guys who, you know, didn't get much playing time. And as we both sort of agreed upon the, uh, you know, it's unlikely that anybody has a leg up over anybody else. So we're just going to have to mm -hmm. like wait and find out. You know, the only thing we could tell is probably going to be a pretty young team. You know, uh, Nick Cronin, uh, you know, could can coach pretty well you know I, i've talked to some you know ucla podcasters who are sort of like i'm a little worried you can't win the big game but like you don't have to play the big game for a couple of months <laughs> you know right. he's got time to figure that one out um in the meantime we're, we're just gonna have to like you know wait to see how this goes um and, and wait to see whether or not it's a team that uh you know hits the ground running uh with a bunch of young talented players you know it's a it's a large pool of talented players to choose from so usually you know if you have a good coach who's established and knows what he wants to do and you have a you know he he sort of uh is able to 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 you know pick the guys he wants right you know he he's not like having to go hat in hand and beg about like oh could you please come to my school like a bunch of the schools yeah. that we've talked about you know like he gets to be like come to ucla and like he gets to be choosy you know like i would think that that puts him in a good position you know to to say okay i've got a big pool i know what i want to do I, I like you know all of these guys enough to get you here and so i just have to pick the cream of the crop uh, you know, it's just a question of like, well, none of them are going to be super experienced and and they got to figure out how to gel together and all this, you know, the standard questions that come with a young team. So, you know, we'll just have to see. And UCLA has uh, done something that's uh, kind of unheard of from uh, any of the teams that I've covered. They, they only bring one player off the transfer portal. Uh, yeah, the Serbian that I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who's at Utah, Utah previously, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stefanovic. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I I couldn't find anything, at least in the Pac-12, on the men or the women's side that was that used the transfer portal so little as UCLA. 
Hmm. It's a, yeah, they're, they're just a, a weird anomaly and um, I'm kind of interested in seeing how that's going to work out for them. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about Washington football's offense. So uh, my article on uh, uh, the film study preview of the Washington football team is going up, uh, well, tomorrow morning, about the same time this podcast does. Um, uh, the 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 earlier podcast we did uh, this week with Adam Holland, we talked about um, the, the defense. Um, because I realized when we started recording that I, because of the bye week, I, I had only written one article in like two weeks. And so I was like, what the heck am I going to talk about? So we talked about the defense and so we decided to split it up and then we talked about the defense in the first podcast this week. And now it's time to talk about the offense. Um, uh, the, 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 the offense is, you know, Washington's, uh, calling card, uh, now, um, it, it, which is interesting because, uh, uh, it, you know, you know, qu- quite the flip. It had been the defense was their calling card for quite some time under uh, the sort of the previous regime, uh, you know, the, the Peterson Lake era. Um, and uh, and then briefly during the Lake era, the, the offense, to the extent they had any, was uh, quite famously run the dang ball, which at this point they very much do not run the dang ball. Um like uh like at all i that was actually one of the more interesting or at least interesting to me stats that i i you know discovered when when charting all of washington's games um you know both this year and last year actually these last two years are not the only years that i've charted kaylin DeBoer's offenses because oregon opened with fresno state in 2021 i you know my off-season project or one of them last uh, for the 2021 season was you know all of fresno's 2020 games um and uh, and then I I continue to keep an eye on Fresno State in 2021 because they also played um, UCLA uh, and uh, did they and, show that that same run to pass disparity that no that... no the thing about Fresno State um, that was very interesting um, was that they had a couple of very good running backs um, Mims and I'm sorry I'm blanking on the other one and. For the Mountain West, their offensive line was basically like an average run blocking offensive line for their level of play. And so, you know, like I I don't think that uh, let me see if I can spit this out correctly. Uh, I think that Kalen DeBoer's passing offense is the structure of his passing offense is intrinsic to Kalen DeBoer. I think he designed a very interesting passing offense, which I will talk about a bit um, in a minute, Um, like schematically interesting. Um, And that's totally him. That's totally his calling card. I, on the other hand, I don't think that I think he's kind of run game agnostic. Like I I think if he has, this is like, this is sort of speculation on my part, but it's because it's not like I've interviewed him or anything. Um, But just having watched his teams at different sort of levels of football. um, And also I, I went back just, because I was interested, I went back and watched the, some of those 2019 games when he was the offensive coordinator at Indiana and Michael Penix was the quarterback at Indiana. So it was like, it's been some time in, in, in watching because kind of, I spent some trying, trying to crack the code of his passing system. Again, I'll talk about that in a second. Sure. Um, but uh, so I was trying to accumulate a bunch of data and uh, that, that, so that's why. Um, but my opinion on the run game while we're on that subject uh, is I think he's agnostic about the question of running the ball. Like, I think if uh, my, my theory about Kalen DeBoer's offense regarding the regarding the run game is that if he thinks he can succeed at running the ball, he'll run the ball. Um, and if he doesn't like, he just doesn't. And that that's that I, uh, I can definitely say his passing offense, which is what he really does care about. Um, is not, it's not, it's not play action dependent. Like it's not the, the reason that he gets a lot of success in the passing game schematically 
is not because he's using the run to set up the pass. I mean, in a sort of, in sort of a sense, he is like in, in that, like, it's not like the offense doesn't have any play action motions in it. Um, like he's, he definitely would like you as the defense to bite on some run fakes. And he definitely has guys sort of moving in motion and running backs moving around. It's like, he, it's not like he goes to empty sets all the time um, or anything like that. He has sweeps and he has a bunch of other stuff like in his offense to get you to bite on it. But it's just like smarter defenses just don't even like uh, against Washington anyway, smarter defenses just don't even care. Like they, they recognize that he's just not going to run. Um, I'll, I'll give you some numbers on that in a second, but to your question, Badwater, like in the Fresno days when he had good running backs and relative to mountain West defenses, he had a competent offensive line that could run block. And so therefore his rushing offense was like a good rushing offense. Like, yeah, he ran all the time. You know, it was, it was a part of his offense, you know, but, but now, uh, those things, uh, aren't true. Um, he doesn't have, it's not that I think he has bad running backs. Like, um, you know, Talapapa last year was a pretty good running back for them. And then, uh, Dylan Johnson and Will Nixon, uh, this year are pretty good, you know, running backs. I I've got no complaints with them. You know, I, I don't think the reason that they're not running has anything to do with the, with the, the notion that they're, you know, their ball carriers are bad at it. Um, it's, I, yeah. I absolutely don't believe that. Um, but like Michael Penix, well, I mean, it's it partly yes, it's like why bother running if you can throw like that, but also just like number one, like the running back Rivers, that's his name. No, is it? I'm sorry, I'm I'm really blanking on those dudes' names. Um, the 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 running backs that he had at Fresno State relative to the defenses that he was playing were like almost otherworldly good. Um. Uh, to the point where like they were the Michael Penixes of the of running backs, you know, like they were so good that like, like why, you know, we should be running these dudes like all the time, you know, they were, you know, they were just breaking off like huge. Yeah. Ronnie Rivers. Why, why did I bulk on that? I was right about that. Rivers and Mims. There we go. Um, yeah, they were just like constantly breaking off big runs. And so it's like, yeah, he's rational, you know, good, good, good for you. You know, Kaylin DeVore, you're rational when you have running backs who can break off big runs all the time like that, you know, run all the time like that. Here's the thing about Washington. The, the, their running backs, while good, are not like magic makers like that, which um, no disrespect to them most the 99% of running backs are not magic makers um at the level of play that they're playing at um and, and number 2 is his offensive line can't run block worth a damn i mean worth a damn it's awful like i mean it's like over 33% I mean, it's like colorado level bad at run blocking they're not quite colorado level bad at pass blocking all again i'll talk about the passing offense in a second i know it's like where all the fireworks come from so why am i spending so much time talking about the rushing offense but i'm going to get to the point here in a second um the 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 point being is just like they they reserve running for the red zone they they actually run slightly more often in the runs red zone than they do in uh passing outside of garbage time it's about 53 percent designed runs in the red zone um and 47 percent designed passes in the red zone so it actually flips um and that's sort of smart too, you know, when the, when the defense compresses in the red zone, they sort of lose a lot of their schematic advantage. And because they fail to invest in tight ends, they don't have what passing offenses usually have as their go-to weapon um, in the red zone, which is like a, uh, you know, a, a six foot seven tight end who can just tower over whomever and, 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 and just catch jump balls. Well, oops, they didn't get that guy. Um, so like they don't have that weapon and they, someone said they run, um, all of these are rational, except it wasn't rational not to do better in the transfer portal portal anyway. Um, however, before they get to the uh, red zone, you know, uh, you know, from from the 20 yard line back, uh, they only call rushing plays about 27 percent of the time. Um, they don't even really run in short yardage, which is an interesting flip from last year. Last year, they like really reserved running for short yardage. Um, and this year, nah, that it's, it's sort of like they run whenever, but like in terms of down and distance situations, but it's like a red zone only. 
to the point where like you can pretty much bank on it if they're outside the red zone even if it's short yardage just like plan on it being a pass you know just like back out and play the pass because it's going to like and there's going to be multiple clips in my article that sort of document this is just like don't bother like going crazy loading the box or anything um so that's sort of point number one is like there's the run game is so desultory i think that was a word i made you look up uh The run game is so desultory that it's almost just not worth bothering. They don't do it very often. And when they do, they're not very good at it. And so it's sort of like you should ignore it. Um, and what that complements at, uh, well, that will complement something. Just remember, it's kind of not worth loading the box to try to stop the run. Remember that I'm going to come back to it. Okay. All right. I think it was kind of interesting. Uh, you, uh, um, acknowledge, the that heavy dependency on or heavy use of uh run only in the red zone and how it kind of skews their overall uh run statistics um well, especially with explosive runs it right it because well their explosive rushing number is um poor it's like only about 10% of their rushes gain 10 plus yards but I, I had to put an asterisk on, on that one to be fair to them um, mm-hmm. because it's, it is entirely possible that, be, you know, since it is so skewed to, to, because they're rushing uh, um, the times in which they rush are so skewed to the red zone in which the number of available yards are constrained, right? Cause you can, you know, Hey, if you're 10 yards away from, from the end zone you can only possibly get 10 yards right Mm -hmm. so like uh um it is there is a possibility that these guys um actually do have the capability of breaking off more explosive runs if they had a more normalized um uh uh, run distribution um but like I, i I'm I'm never going to know that, you know, so right. I, I, I had to, you know, uh, um, you know, as an empiricist, I just list what have you actually done. Um, but as somebody who's, you know, also an analyst, I have to, you know, point out when I think that the um, the the what have you actually done stuff may need some caveats. Um, and, and that's one of them. Uh, that said, I don't really see this pattern changing. And so like, kind of who cares, you know, like if they, if they actually secretly have the ability to break off explosive runs, who cares? Cause they're only going to be running in the red zone. So like, who cares anyway? Um, so the passing offense, the, 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 the structure of my article, I, I basically note that uh, first of all, I note all of Panks is, you know, excellent qualities of which he has many. Um, the, the, uh, uh, he, he's an excellent passer. He's a very accurate passer. He's, uh, he can throw the deep ball. He throws the deep ball on about 25% of his dropbacks, excluding throwaways, of course, which is how I do it for all quarterbacks that I mentioned. Oregon this year, um, for just reference, is it about 21%, you know, so a, a little bit more. Um, they, uh, uh, um, the, the it is, uh, other qualities that Penix has that are like, you know, kind of amazing is that, um, dude always wants to complete the pass. Like he, uh, unlike like a whole ton of PAC 12 quarterbacks, whose uh, like fan bases love them because, well, he always scrambles to get us out of trouble and to, uh, to, to keep our drives alive. Like, no, not really Michael Penix. Like, you know, he's really like, I am going to complete the pass that the offense, you know, calls for, for me to complete. He, he does not drop his eyes. He's not dissuaded. Um, which one of the which is amazing and it causes him to have it's it's like 90 percent of that is upside there is a bit of a downside to it which is as i note in my article and have some documentation of he sometimes gets locked onto a receiver um that like hey man you know there's a better throw on the field um uh uh yeah i just you know that's one of the downsides um 
he's also like he's pretty cool you know uh, like he he doesn't like cavalierly put the ball in danger i would not describe him as a gunslinger in that way um uh you know another good thing he's he's also just like straight up courageous like dudes can get through the line and like have a hand on him and he is not like freaking out about the hit he's about to take he is still completing the pass accurately with a good throwing motion um and throwing it deep uh it's very impressive you know it's extremely impressive um uh whenever i say that though you know washington fans kind of freak out um because like they're convinced that they have an awesome offensive line I don't know why I don't know how they can be watching their own film and not see it. Like it's it, like I said, it's not Colorado level bad, but it's like PAC 12 average level bad, which is not to say great. Um, you know, cause PAC 12 average is like about 15% error rates in pass protection. Um, and due to some shuffling they've had to do in the interior of the line due to some injuries and also, uh, in my opinion, some mismanagement by Scott Huff, their longtime offensive line coach, mm-hmm. um, you know, that the, they've, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're starting the sort of optimal set of dudes that they might be um, with the optimal amount of like uh, uh, playing time, you know, under their belts that they could have. Um, and so the interior of the offensive line, you know, collapses, which means like even faster routes to the quarterback um, than the tackles breaking down, which look, the tackles also break down. Um, they they just do like my my article is chock full of clips of not just breaking down after like, oh, man, boy, this was a long pocket. And eventually, boy, even the best guys even break down. It's not what you were it's not what's happening it is like immediate breakdowns like dudes that look like turnstiles just like you know buffoonish you know kind of pass protection stuff and like how anybody who's a fan of that team could look at it and say like we've got the best offensive we've got a comparable to oregon offensive line is just like i i you know I am not really in the habit of saying that one fan base is better or smarter or, or whatever than another. I tend to think people are people and, and fan bases are fan bases. And we're all, you know, pretty much alike that Washington fans about their offensive line are really pushing me to think like there's something in the water up there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I cannot understand how you can watch, those guys and come like like up is down black is white day is night like it's not it's not good pass protection at all like again it's not colorado level bad but it's yeah what makes it not matter are the qualities that i listed from from penix the fact that Kalen DeBoer's passing offense um, uses pre-snap motions, um, combination routes, layered reads. It's a very sophisticated and intelligent passing system to give the quarterback very good pre-snap and post-snap reads, especially against zone defenses. They absolutely shred zone defenses. Um to know where the ball should go very quickly. And Penix has a very compact and quick throwing motion. He gets a lot of power out of a very, you know, compact, quick throw. And, you know, the stat that, that I compiled uh, was about, um, I've forgotten the number already. It's something like 64%. It's in, in the 60s somewhere of the passes that come out of his hand are there. It, the ball is out of his hand within two seconds of the snap. And just like physically, it's almost impossible for the pass rush to get to him within two seconds. Like humans just don't move that fast, you know, in the offensive line, no matter what you think of them, they're not made out of tissue paper. They're still made out of flesh and bone, you know, like, you you know, even if you've defeated them, it still takes you some time, you know, to get to the quarterback. And like, if he has properly read the defense and the defense hasn't covered, you know, very, very well, um, he, he's got his throw and he's made it, you know, before the pass rush has knocked him on his butt. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying previously about his character and his temperament and his courage and all his other, you know, qualities, he doesn't panic. He doesn't scramble. He doesn't drop his eyes. He maintains good throwing motion and accuracy, even under pressure. 
and you combine that with you know good reads in a system that shreds zone defenses, and it means that the ball's gone to a big play you know, before the pass rush is able to take advantage of the fact that the, the protection has broken down. Um, and here's the other upshot of that. I feel like this is a theory. I, it's only speculation, but I've been watching it for so long that like, I feel like I've got so much data that this theory is on very solid footing. I feel like most defensive coordinators turn on the same film that I've been watching. They see the same piss poor protection out of the offensive line and they say i know what the solution is to this passing offense is i'm gonna blitz i'm gonna you know i'm gonna destroy this line and knock this quarterback down and that'll be how i you know i solve this problem it's a it's a mistake the second clip in my article or video compilation my article and i could have put so many more is like blitzing is a mistake. Blitzing has a very low success rate against this offense. Um, and the reason why for, it should be fairly obvious from all the things that I've said, like blitzing doesn't make you get home faster. It doesn't blitzing doesn't make you faster. All it does is increase your odds of getting through the line. Well, your odds were already high. You can get home with three pass rushers as a subsequent clip compilation of my article will demonstrate several subsequent clip compilations my article will illustrate blitzing doesn't make you get home faster however blitzing does eliminate dudes from the pass coverage and when you need to win with time not with increasing your odds of getting through, but with time, what you need to do is add dudes to the pass coverage. And that's why Arizona's had the right idea. They went 180 degrees, the opposite strategy. They didn't blitz except for a couple of times, which I like made fun of them for in my article. (laughs) Super stupid. Like it was just a crazy blitz in my article that I was just like, what is this Arizona? Anyway, um, they went 180 degrees, the opposite direction. They were playing seven defensive backs and they mostly backed out, you know, uh, seven or eight dudes into coverage on every play um, starting in the third possession. They were playing their normal defense the first two possessions, which was just like, if you're going to do it, guys, you should do it. You know, they got in a hole because they weren't committed to it until the third possession. It was strange. Anyway, um, where it's like, look, man, the the because here's the thing, Penix's success rate when he holds the ball, when he gets rid of the ball within two seconds of the snap is over 73%. Pennant's success rate when he holds the ball for over two seconds falls to 44%. And that's on all plays. Like, you know, you know, and it's not necessarily because he takes a sack or whatever. It could be, it it could be a throwaway. It could be uh, just a short pass, you know, a a check down or, or whatever. Like, uh, you know, but it's time and the way you buy yourself time is coverage, you know, and the way you, you, you buy yourself time with coverage is you just got to drop more dudes you, you, into coverage, you know, which means don't blitz, which means drop more dudes into coverage. And the other thing is play man. You, you just got to play man. It's not even really that hard. I mean, they have fantastic receivers. It is true. The fantastic receivers are fantastic because they catch anything. Like their, their catch radius is phenomenal. The fantastic receivers are fantastic, not because they are superhuman Usain Bolt speedsters. I have multiple clips in my article in which G5 teams and Arizona, which has like G5 level talent, are running in man coverage with their future NFL wide receivers just fine. Like all five, you know, uh, receivers in the pattern you know, running down the sideline stride for stride, like low three-star dudes, just, just play man. It's not difficult. And that's with guys who don't have Oregon's talent. Hmm. And, and you don't even need to hold up in man for like five seconds, right? You just need to hold down for 1001, 1002, 1000, because at that point, the pocket will have broken down and you'll have dudes, you know, putting panics on his butt that's it all i got to do is get to one thou you know the third one thou um i i don't count to one thousand i have a timer um the <laughs> i was just being funny um the the but i actually do seriously have a, it's built into the 
my my charting system anyway the um because it's all digital and i have the files on my computer i'm not going off like a dvr or anything stupid like that and so uh or vhs tapes um uh although i have looked at vhs tapes to go back and do like tim deruder study because he and sorry um the um don't divulge all your secrets <laughs> the <laughs> secrets are all in the library man um anyway uh yeah man that's that's what the thrust of the passing section of my article is is you don't need to buy yourself more personnel and more odds of getting through this offensive line you will have that with even three rushers what you do need to do is buy yourself more time of panics holding the ball and the way you do that is with coverage that means dropping more dudes into coverage and that means playing man and that will get him to either lock on to a receiver and make a um uh, you know, in, in, in uh, a throw that is a low percentage chance, or it will get him to make a horizontal throw, which all you got to do is run out and make the tackle and, and, uh, you know, limit it to a minimal yardage play, which due to Penix's temperament, you know, of, of being like a conservative type of dude, not like a gunslinger type of dude, he'll do that. He'll, 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 he'll check it down you know, uh, which is good. You know, I'm not trying to make fun of him or anything, but like inducing him to checking it down, like, yeah. And then going and tackling the check down, which like that was Arizona's problem. The reason why Arizona ultimately lost the game was that they would induce him to check it down, but then they had a bunch of like three-star players who would then like not go and run that run over and tackle that dude. So he would then go and get like seven yards on the play. So like that was enough for Washington to keep the sticks moving and go on these like 10 play touchdown drives. Well, if you're better at this than Arizona is so that he throws the check down to a dude who's standing like three, four, five yards behind the line of scrimmage and your actually talented dude runs screaming at that guy and gets a tackle for loss with a sure tackle, you know, uh, or he only gets like a yard gain or two yard gain. Well, that changes the calculus, doesn't it? You know, now it's not second and two, you know, now it's, you know, second and nine. You know, right. like, and if you get them to check it down three times, you know, that's it. They're off the field. Um, you know, and they, they, they sure as hell ain't throwing. That was why I went on that whole rant, you know, at the beginning of this segment. The reason why I talked about, you know, why they don't run is because even if it's third and three, they'll, you know, where any other team would just run a run play or an RPO or, you know, something. Nope. It's still the same you know, deep pass, then check down offense, which means you need to do the same. All you got to do is the same thing that got you there, which is play a bunch of dudes back in coverage. You don't have to worry about the run, right? Cause mm -hmm. you can stop the run with a light box, the same thing. That's why I said, remember this, you can stop the run with a light box and you can rush the passer with a light box, which means the same strategy obtains. You use a light box, you back out dudes, you play the check down, and you play man. You get him to hold the ball for three seconds, and he'll do something that will ultimately result in a failed play from a, a you know a, a, a you know from a um, a moving the chains perspective. You know enough yardage to stay ahead of the sticks perspective. That's how you get them to punt. Like most teams haven't done that. But I feel like from watching the film, it's not because most teams haven't really had the tools to do that. It's because most teams haven't put like two and two together to see the strategy of how you do that. And I feel like if you read my article, the strategy of what you're supposed to do to stop this offense will be very clear. Like it was having two weeks over the bye week in order to write this article was unnecessary for me. It was clear to me when I was watching the Tulsa game in week two, um, how Boise state almost pulled it off until their quarterback just couldn't complete a pass. Like, I mean, Boise state kind of had them on the ropes for a bit and they just like kept screwing up their passing offense um now that that's sort of more about washington's defense which i talked about last time uh anyway like i feel like the strategy for this offense is clear 
And I also feel like the strategy to lose to this offense is also very clear. You can definitely do it wrong. Um, and like, don't do it wrong. Cause if you do it wrong, they will melt your face. I mean, that's the thing about Washington that like a lot of, you know, most teams that have, that have good offenses, like they're good because, you know, they're good because they're good, you know? And, uh, if you really screw up, uh, you know, that the, they'll break you. Um, Washington is, it's, they, they really, they really only have one path to win in terms of like the way that their offense is structured and their tendencies, like you need to play them in a certain way, which is basically blitz and play zone and take the run seriously, which is, which made it so crazy making, because what did I, what have I been watching for five games in 2023 and like 13 games in 2022? I've been watching, you know, a bunch of opponents blitz and play zone and take the run seriously. And it's like, those are the three things that you shouldn't do to stop this offense. Um, meanwhile, if you actually dive into the numbers and look at the stuff that they're bad at and look at their tendencies and look at how to manipulate them, you will see that if you do the opposite of all of those things, which like hint Johnny Nansen did a a guy that like lots of people that I talked to over the summer thought was a complete dummy. And like Arizona was screwing up by retaining him on staff in 2023, Mm -hmm. like Johnny Nansen figured it out. Like all he needed to be able to do was tackle the check down. He would have won that game. Oh, and also have a quarterback that's taller than five foot two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I felt like I, I felt like the strategy was clear. What do you, what do you think bad runner? Uh, I think that uh, landing is nobody's fool. And that we're going to see uh, a lot of that. And it's um, it's uh, heartening to me that uh, we've seen improved tackling um, with short passes. That's true. Ta- I mean, tackling is definitely essential. It is That's something else that's all over my article uh, in terms of their successful offensive plays is like, you know, they, they get a good play, you know, or they get a decent play or they throw or hell, they throw a check down, which starts out as a bad play, but then the, the good plays turn into great plays or the, the, the could be unsuccessful play turns into a successful play because they make the tackler miss. So yeah, absolutely. Got tackle. Well, and, uh, and what you say, um, with both offense and defense is certainly illuminating. I mean, it's really easy to convince yourself that your offensive line is great when in fact it's uh, kind of a a mirage because the quarterback has gotten rid of the ball so fast. I I mean, I kind of understand national pundits falling for that because like, Oh, we don't watch games. We just look at the box score and see the sacks count as low, but like, If you're a Washington fan, you're watching the game, aren't you? Like, eh. <laughs> I think we might need to like mount up a rescue mission just for like pure humanitarian reasons and see if they've got like, are they using lead pipes? You know, <laughs> like is something. Right. Maybe there's something in Lake Washington. Hmm. <laughs> All right. I think that'll do it for us this week. <laughs> Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for us, Badwater? No. Huck, huck the Fuskies. <laughs> God, I, 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 want, uh, I want the Fuskies to lose in the most uh, embarrassing way, mm. like always. Uh, I always w- want to do that. And, um, you know, I want them to be defeated, and I want to hear uh, Softies cries of anguish i, I want to feel the tears coming through my speakers oh 
I don't want much. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the small things in life. Uh, it's, it's, it's such things don't motivate me. I'm, I'm, I've always just been interested in the chess match. You know, it's, it's, football's a strategically fascinating game. I, I'm, I am interested in in Washington first and foremost because I, I think, well, as I was saying. It, the, I think there is a correct strategic way to approach them and an incorrect strategic way to approach them. I definitely know, I guess I'll put it this way. I definitely know that there is an incorrect strategic way to, per, to approach them. I think I know a correct strategic way to approach them. I am interested to see if Dan Lanning, A, avoids the incorrect way, B, devises uh, like a, a correct one, C, if it's similar to one that I came up with, in which case, like i don't know maybe i should go get paid millions of dollars <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm just hoping for uh um a good oregon win and i've been too good and bad when it comes to contests against the huskies i i was um there at odson for the pick yeah um but you know i was i was also at odson it's the only uh time i've ever take my dad to a football game and it oh, was really? 2000, 2002 and um it rained the entire time listening to don essex say it never rains in Autzen stadium has greeted me ever, ever since uh it, mm. the huskies kicked our butt yeah yeah it does rain in uh Autzen stadium and unfortunately it's when the huskies are are winning it was because you lost faith bad water no, is that no, is that what no, bad no, water I, refers I, to? No, no, no. Is that I, your I, is that your origin story? Is like no, a, no. a Batman Rogues Gallery villain? No, no. I blame my dad. Uh, uh, yeah, I I would never take him fishing because it's guaranteed we were not going to catch any fish. It wasn't mm-hmm. until I uh, left home and went fishing with some friends. Oh, fishing does work. I see. It's my dad is the common denominator. So I don't take my dad to Washington games anymore. Uh, well, I, <laughs> y- y- you're right. You're wrong. Don Nessig is right. It never rains in Austin Stadium. It may very well rain in in Husky Stadium. They are calling for it, which, like, I don't know how that's going to play out for a team that uh, uh, can't run and loves to pass. Um, most importantly, however, it never rains on this podcast. 